Today we're going to start the book of Hebrews. It's another letter written by Paul. And the reality is, is there is some question, though, if Paul really is the author to the book of Hebrews. There's a really great quote from the Come, Follow Me manual on page 178 that says, quote, Some scholars question whether Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews. The literary style of Hebrews is somewhat different from Paul's other letters, and the earliest versions of the text did not name an author. However, because the ideas expressed in Hebrews are consistent with Paul's other teachings, Latter-day Saints, in keeping with Christian tradition, have generally accepted that Paul was at least involved in writing the epistle. Close quote. Now, what I love is that at the beginning of that, it says that the literary style is somewhat different. And if you've read the book of Hebrews already or have ventured in there, you'll totally know that it is. It's different from the letters that we were looking at last week. And it's definitely different from some of the other things that are taking place inside of these larger epistles. But the bigger question is, does it really matter? See, what's really interesting is when you get to the very end of Hebrews, At the very end, in very small type, it says, written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy. So the very beginning says the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Hebrews, and the very end says written by Timothy. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter who wrote it. What really matters is what you and I can gain from it. See, the reason that this epistle was written to the Hebrews was that there were some doctrinal questions of what needed to happen with the law of Moses or what needed to happen with cultural traditions, if you will. For example, on my mission, very Catholic. And one of the things that Catholics do is they make the sign of the cross. And in one of my areas on my mission, there was this elderly woman, came every week, was a member, and she would take the sacrament bread, put it in her mouth, and then do the sign of the cross. Like, it was hilarious. She could not, at her elderly age, give up that piece of tradition, even though she'd been baptized, had a testimony, all the things, that tradition stuck with her. See, the reality is, is all of us somewhere have something that we need to give up to be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You have something, I have something, everyone listening has something that they need to give up. For example, my father was a smoker and an alcoholic, and he was okay being an alcoholic for a while. In fact, it was one night he was in jail, and he thought, oh my gosh, I've turned out to be my dad, which is everything I didn't want to be, because my grandfather was also an alcoholic. My dad smoked about a pack or so of cigarettes at any given time, and then he was a pipe smoker. Well, you can imagine what it was like for my father when the missionaries taught him the word of wisdom. But like any who joined the church, he had to come to a decision. What was his decision going to be? What action was he going to take? And he decided one day that he was going to give up drinking and smoking, and he gave both of them up cold turkey. Got up, said, today's the day, done with all of this. One of the things that he did do, though, is he put something in place of when he would normally smoke. And my father was often known to have wintergreen lifesavers. In his pocket. I remember my mother buying those by the big sleeve, and always my dad had those. On the flip side, my mother did not drink a lot. In fact, she could get drunk on a half a can of beer. And so that wasn't a big thing for her to give up, but coffee was. She was a coffee drinker and loved the smell and the taste. 
But more importantly, she had really deep associations inside of the larger Catholic Church. She had been raised Catholic. She had gone to Catholic schools. She was a part of the Women's Catholic League there in the area where they were living in North Dakota. And she was very, very involved. In fact, one of the things that she often noted to us, and I, I know I've mentioned this previously, is, is that she had 100% attendance in Catholic Mass and in sacrament meeting for 52 weeks while she was investigating the church. And it was really, really hard for her to leave those associations because many people would no longer associate with her because she had joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She lost friends. She lost connections. It created a little bit of rift for her family for a while. But what's interesting is, while both of my parents gave up those things, there were some traditions that did not fade. For example, in the Catholic Church, there is a No Meat Friday. Those that are really practicing Catholics, they don't eat meat of the flesh in honor of Good Friday, but they do it every Friday to remember Good Friday and what transpires after that. And my mom, I don't know if it was really a conscious or a subconscious thing because she had grown up that way. She had started our family that way. But she simply, like, we had lots of, of casseroles and fish, stuff that did not have a lot of meat in it, pastas, if you will, on Fridays and kept up some of those traditions. So here we have then the people in Hebrews who are saying, hey, wait a second, we're keeping these pieces of the law of Moses. But what is it that we're supposed to do? And so you got to love how Paul starts us off here in chapter 5. I know that sounds weird. We're going to start in 5, not in chapter 1, but we are. We're going to jump to chapter 5, and we're going to take a look at verses 5 through 9. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made as a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son today, have I begotten thee? And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, was strong, crying, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And thus, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. I love those last two verses. He learned, Christ learned obedience. That's kind of weird to think, isn't it? That Christ had to learn to be obedient, but he did. He had the option to sin. So he learned obedience by the things he suffered, being made perfect. He becomes the author of our eternal salvation and you and I, we have to obey him. So what that really means is it means that conversion for you and I is putting Christ at the center of our lives. Elder Holland calls this term Christocentric. Like, I just love that word because it's fun to say. Christocentric. It's putting Christ at the center and removing other distractions. President Nelson would argue that it means to think celestial, right? Because if I'm thinking celestial, if I'm looking at the long game here, I'm putting Christ at the center. So what is it that you need to do to better center your life on Christ? What needs to change? 
for you and for, I'm, I'm going to argue for myself, right? What, what do I need to change to become more Christocentrific? As I think about General Conference, one of the purposes of General Conference is to bring us together, to provide us with things that you and I can do in the next six months to be better prepared. Now, if you remember last time we talked about those perilous times, we know those perilous times are here. And so here we have the brethren saying, okay, let's, let's get you ready. Let's get you ready for the second coming of the Savior. One of my favorite talks from General Conference is by Elder Danes. I loved his talk. He's the one, if you'll recall with me, that taught us about face blindness, which I didn't know was even a thing. And he describes this face blindness as people who are severely face blind, cannot look at your face. And so go like, oh, that's Candace's face. That's Cammy's face. That's Barry's face. That's Brian's face. That's nope. They look at a face and it's just like, oh, it's that's the same face that I just saw. And so he says, quote, people who are severely face blind try to identify others by memorizing rules, a rule for recognizing a daughter by the pattern of her freckles or a friend by her shuffling gait. I share this setup with you to be able to pose a question. And that question is, who is God or Christ to you? Like, if you saw them, would you recognize them? Now, you may be thinking, well, yeah, because it'd be like Christ walks in the room and there'd be like a, you know, or something, angels or something going on. But the reality is that's, that's not true. And you may be saying, okay, how do you know that? Well, the reason I know that is there's this really cool guy, Old Testament, might have heard of him. His name's Isaiah. I know, I know. He's your favorite author. I got it. So here is Isaiah. And as he's talking to us about Christ, listen to what he says. We're in Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah chapter 53 talks exactly about this concept that Elder Danes talks to us about. 53, verse 1. Yea, even doth not Isaiah say, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Now, did you catch what the Savior looks like? That's one of the things that I absolutely love about this. Let's read that second verse again. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Or in other words, the Savior, he looks like a man. He looks like an average man. Which means he could potentially walk amongst us, and you and I could suffer from face blindness. It's no wonder, as, as I've thought about this talk, I've thought about those guys on the road to Emmaus. Remember them? That they walked with the Savior. They're talking with him. And they don't even understand that it's him until he departs from them. And then they say, oh, yeah, did not our hearts burn within us? But they'd been walking with him that whole time. See, to better help us, in Hebrews chapter 2, we learn a little bit more about what Christ looks like and what he's done. So we learn about his purpose and we know and understand his purpose better, we can make him more central in our lives. Let me show you what I mean. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, and let's jump over to verse number 6. But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? I love that question, because the question is being raised to God. 
What is man that thou art mindful of him? Now I want to stop for a minute and testify that God knows who you are. He knows your name. He knows your circumstances. He knows your quirks. He knows what makes you happy. He understands your feelings. And all of the myriad of things that you may be going through. He gets it. And he loves you. I testify that God the Father is mindful of you and you are not here accidentally. He has placed you here for a unique purpose. Paul continues, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. So you and I, were a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him, the Savior, with glory and with honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, I love that title that the Savior suddenly gets there. He gets called the captain of salvation, captain of their salvation. I love the idea of captain because the title captain infers someone who knows the direction or the way to go, like a captain of a ship, captain of the plane, in my family, I have a brother-in-law who we affectionately call Captain. And the reality is, is the title fits. Why? Well, because the captain is wise. The captain has experienced many things. And for those of you that know of MacGyver, the captain is a MacGyver kind of guy. He can take a whacked out situation and somehow figure out how to fix it and make it right. If I am ever in a bind and I really needed some help, the captain is someone I would want on my side. Now, I share that with you because what title has the Savior just been given? Well, he's been told that he is the captain of their salvation. Then he pushes it a step further. Verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, did you catch that? Christ was tempted. So lest you think, well, Christ doesn't understand. He was never tempted. Yeah, he was. He was totally tempted. He was tempted all the time, just like you and I are. But unlike you and I, Christ never gave in to said temptation. But does he really get it? Well, I think so. See, I don't know about you, but in these perilous times, I, I seem to keep hitting like, I actually call them speed bumps. You know, something that I didn't think was going to be very hard. And then all of a sudden it gets really hard. And it's like, oh man, how am I going to make it through this? How am I going to keep going? I'd love to tell you that all of the hard things happened on my mission. And since then it's been smooth sailing. Oh, heck no. Heck, I'd even like to say, man, all of the hard things happened in my 20s and my 30s. And now that I'm in my 50s, it's now, no, 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 no. If there's one thing that I've learned is that the hard things don't stop. They just get harder. And I get new puzzles and new challenges and new things. And does Christ really get it? 
For example, have you had something happen in your life that you wish, man, I really wish someone understood this, that someone will get it? I remember when I was single and dating and struggling with that and teaching seminary full-time and in graduate school and I just bought a house, like my life was really complicated for a bit. And I remember people saying, I understand exactly how you feel. And I remember thinking to myself, no, you don't. You have not been single into your 30s. Let's start there. You have not been a single sister seminary teacher. Ooh, let's compound that. I didn't know that you were a single sister seminary teacher in graduate school. You've lived through those three things and you understand what that's like. I mean, think about it. Sometimes it, it kind of bugs, doesn't it? When people are like, I, to I totally get how you're feeling. But did you catch what Paul tries to get you and I to understand? Back to verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, I love that word in there, succor, because the word succor means to support in times of distress and need. And there's a really powerful cross-reference that you need to put there. And you're going to remember this for the rest of your life because I'm going to put it in terms that most of you worldwide, actually, because I've seen these worldwide, that are going to remember. And that is the reference 711. Ah, 711. Ah stands for Alma. Alma 711. Now, why 711? Because 711 is open 24 hours a day in many locations worldwide. And 711 is where you go to get the late night snacks and the Slurpees and the treats and the donuts and anything else that you might need. Water, gas depending on your location. And what happens at 7-Eleven? Well, you get what you need. And it's there. It's available. What? 7-Eleven. Seven days a week. You're going to be there. Well, in uh, 7-Eleven, Alma, 7-Eleven, we learn this about the Savior who is also open all the time and available to us all the time. Check this out. 7-Eleven, Alma. And he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this, that the word might be fulfilled, which saith, he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. So for those of you that are sick or suffering from potentially mental illness or physical illness, he gets it. When I had to have a radioactive seed placed in my chest because of breast cancer, he got it. When I dislocated my knee, he understood it. When I knocked out my two front teeth, he got it. When I was run over by the lawnmower, he understood. He gets it. Twelve. And he will take upon him death, that he might loose the bands of death which bind his people. And he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know, according to the flesh, how to succor his people according to their infirmities. Now, did you catch that? There's that word succor again. Sucker means what? Will support in times of distress and need. An alternate definition is to run towards to aid. But have you ever noticed that when things get a little rocky in our world, sometimes one of the first things to go is religion? Well, all these bad things are happening in my world. I'm going to show God. I'm mad. I'm going to quit praying. I'm not going to go to church anymore and associate with other saints who might actually have the ability to help me feel a little bit better about things. Not to mention the, the sacrament, which renews your covenants. And candidly, that's why I go to church. I love the sacrament. And so here you and I are, things are getting bad. And so we start literally running away from the Savior. We drop those. I'm not going to read my scriptures anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. My life is so hard. Nobody understands. And the Savior is trying to succor us. So he's running behind us, right? 
he's running, 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 and we're running like, why doesn't anybody understand me? And the Savior's running behind us. I understand. Please let me sucker you. Why doesn't anybody get it? And he's like, could you just stop for a second? And you and I, we often keep running. Verse 13. Now the Spirit knoweth all things. Nevertheless, the Son of God suffereth according to the flesh. Did you catch that? He could have learned it spiritually. He could have learned it through the Spirit, because remember the Spirit can teach us all things that we must know and do. But he chose to experience it through the flesh, through his body, so that he could truly understand. So does the Savior understand what it was like for me, Candace Harrington Shoup, to lose seven out of ten layers on my eye and have to have that regenerate? I'm here to tell you it was painful. The answer to that is yes. Does he understand what it's like to lose your best friend to death? Well, do you remember that? His best friend was beheaded by Herodias the Grotius. Now the spirit knoweth all things. Nevertheless, the son of God suffereth according to the flesh that he might take upon him the sins of his people, that he might blot out their transgressions according to the power of this deliverance. And now behold, this is the testimony in me. Elder Holland, he put it this way. I love this quote. Quote, Jesus came to improve man's view of God and to plead with them to love Heavenly Father as he has always and will always love them, close quote. Why did Christ come? To improve our view of God, that God really is merciful, loving, kind. He wants to help you and I. Elder Danes put it this way, quote, prophets invite us to seek his face. I take this as a reminder that we worship our Father, not a formula, and that we're not finished until we see Jesus as the face of our Father's love and follow him, not just his rules, close quote. Did you catch where Elder Danes is trying to get you and I to arrive? We need to arrive at a point where we see Jesus as the face of our Father's love, and we follow him, not just the rules. See, the reality is, I try to live the gospel of Jesus Christ not because of the rules, but because I love Jesus. One of the things that I was looking for when I was dating is I was looking for someone who loved Christ. That was one of the, the major ingredients I wanted. I wanted somebody who loved Christ and who would allow me to put Christ center in my life. Now, some days I'm better at it at others. Do not get me wrong. But I'm working on what Elder Danes is talking about. And that is coming to really see Christ in my life and not be blind. So will you go and do a couple of things for me? First one's super easy. Will you go and study Elder Danes' talk entitled, Sir, We Would Like to See Jesus, and share with someone something that stuck out to you? I'd love it if you found something that you really loved and shared it with me via email. I'm getting better at my email account. But share something with me via email or on social media. But if that's not your jam, I get it. Will you share it with your Sunday school class or your young men, young women's class or maybe at your family discussion? I know you'll find something amazing in Elder Dane's talk. So will you go read it and then share? Will you also come to be more Christocentric by putting down your old traditions, potentially some of your culture, and allow him to sucker you? See, the easy culture to put down is when you start to feel mad or angry, hurt or sick, anything nobody understands. 
that instead of complaining that nobody understands, turn to him and pray and let him succor you. I know that he can help you walk through the difficult things in life. Why do I know that? Because he has walked with me through difficult things in life. May you be more Christocentric because you choose to make Christ the center because you actually see him for who he is. Someone who loves you infinitely. Make it awesome. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Go and Do podcast. We'd love it if you'd take time to leave us a review and also click follow. We would definitely love to hear from you. And you can reach us by either emailing the Go and Do podcast at gmail.com or following us on Instagram at the Go and Do podcast. I'm going to own. It may take me a minute to get back to you on the email, but it's just because I can't get in. Anyway, would love to hear from you. The Go and Do podcast is created by me, Candace Shu and produced by Cami Fisher. We hope that you enjoyed your time with us and that you have a good time. Don't be a good time. Let's go and do. We'll talk soon.